it's obvious that when these two team up, the result is magical. This week in tennis. And we brought this dynamic duo together once again. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. What's happening, Craig? Are you ready for the grass court season? I am. I think I've had enough of the dirt for one year. I've had enough of the dirt for the rest of my life, but I said that when I was 12. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. I'm Phil Nasons. He's Craig Doyle. And we're here to talk all things sports betting, tennis-wise, that is. What's happening, man? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing not too bad, you know. Um, bit of a slow week, you know, for us week on the grass. It's always the same. You're trying to figure out what, which of these clay guys are going to keep their form on the grass and which of these guys that had no form on the clay are going to pick up on the grass. So it's, it's been a bit of a slow week just watching what's happening. Not too many plays. But, uh, you know, we told you so at that Roland Garros, didn't we? I mean, we, we called that Nadal victory a while back. We knew what was coming. No surprises. Um, not too many opportunities to win big money. You know, you and I were looking at that final there, and it was it was really difficult to find any value anywhere on that men's final. Nope, you're right, but we did. Because I, I predicted that Nadal would win in straight sets. He did. I got plus money for it. Everyone was happy. I'm happy with the grass court season. Ah, I, I'm still ahead. I stopped after yesterday. I figured I'd wait a couple more days and get back in it. Jump back in, if you will. I had the Emma Raducanu match pegged perfect. And she withdrew again. I'm yeah, you t- can't have a bet on that, though, can you? I mean, they should start giving odds on whether she'll make it to the end of the match. Well, that's just it. You can't bet on her to win. You can't bet against her because there's no point. Because you don't even know if she'll finish that first set. And that's a pity she's been injured again. She claims she'll be ready for Wimbledon. The girl's just not a killer. Not a killer. Not anywhere close to it. I think, you know, she she struggles to finish a match, and it's a mentality thing. I'm not overly convinced that she's got any sort of serious injury. Um, I, I think she just... Looking for the easy way out, if I'm honest. I mean, it'll make me very unpopular around these parts, that kind of opinion. But I just don't see any sort of strength in mentality with her at all. It, it's like the minute her opponent starts to get on top of her, the, the trainer starts coming out. And then she just decides that, well, you know, I might not win this match. So what's a better option than uh, losing the match? I'll just retire. And that's what I'm the vibe I'm getting from it. I could be completely wrong. I don't know her. I don't know her people. But um, the whole thing, yeah, the, the mentality is not there for me. No, it, it isn't there. But you know what? Maybe a year ago she was more focused on tennis. She had less distractions. No one really knew who she was. And now she's done this Herculean thing, Craig. She won 10 consecutive matches at the U.S. Open, 3 to qualify, 7 to win. And she looked pretty dominant at times during that fortnight, during that impressive victory. She hasn't looked anywhere since that, or she hasn't looked anything like that since. And, you know, a lot of people are opining that maybe it's the off-court stuff. I think she doesn't want to play tennis. I think she's hit that generational wealth. And she's decided that that's enough. You know, um, 
these injuries are little niggles. She claims to train for 12 hours a day. Doesn't look that way. Maybe she's overtraining. We talked about that too. Either way, I don't think she has the focus or the mentality that it takes to dominate on the WTA tour like Iga Svitek does. Iga's a killer. Now, when you watch her play, she's a killer. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. She's there for one thing and one thing only, and that's to whip your ass. And that's what you have to be in an individual sport like tennis. That's the mindset that you have to have. And I'm not so sure Emma has that. In fact, I have a hard time coming up with uh, more than two or three names on the women's side of the draw that have that killer instinct, that killer mentality, that take-no-prisoners type of tennis. Iga's one. Maybe, obviously, Serena Williams is another. What about, do you have any names of on the WTA tour that are killers now or could be? Um, you know, we've had a few in the past. Like Victoria Azarenka was there. You saw the lengths that she used to go to to win. You know, she'd use every check in the book to get herself over the line. So, you know, the, the times have passed. Though, you know, she's had a child now. She's maybe not playing at the the level she was. I think Simona Hallett for a while had the killer instinct. You know, she would, that's why how she's got slams. Ash Barty, but, you know, she's now retired. Um, but when I look down the list of the top 10, and, you you know, I'm just going to read out names on that list. Kontovit, Badoza, Jabur, Sakari, Sabalenka, Pliskova. None of these girls, for me, would go under the category of a killer. Um, they're all girls in their sort of mid twenties, but none of them, you know, we've talked at length about Sakari, um, and Jabur and how good these players are, but they don't win grand slams because they don't have it. Yep. You're right. Now I want to throw Venus Williams name on that list of killers. She's still an active tennis player, even though she hasn't played much. She's definitely a killer. Remember when she was in her heyday? The only one she couldn't kill was her little sister. And uh, that's okay. You know what? That's okay. But when you talk about someone who, especially as we approach the grass court season, someone who we had our eye on for years to win that event, no matter what the preparation, no matter what the performance of the last, say, six, seven months were, we always thought that Venus could win Wimbledon because she's a killer. Serena. Serena's a killer. Now, Halep? Yeah, I think Halep was a killer at one time, but I don't think she is anymore. Now she's riding a struggle bus with a coach that probably isn't helping her very much. But then again, Simona Halep doesn't need a whole lot of help anymore. She's got all the money she can ever spend. And good for her. Uh, let me see. But that top 10 list, there's not a single killer on that list in the top 10 who are killers. Jessica Pagula, maybe she's a killer, but she doesn't have the talent that, say, a Venus has or a big stroke that Venus had with that big serve or Justine Hennen Harden with that one-handed backhand. I don't think she has it. 
No, and I think a lot of that also comes from your background as well. You know, right. you tend to find a lot of these killers come from a not so good background. If you come from a well-off background, and I'm I'm not criticizing Jessica here. You know, you can't help who you are and where you've come from. Um, but she comes from a big money background, so the fact that she's got to where she is is, is testament to her determination. But I looked at guys like Ernest Gilbus as well. I mean, he, Ernest Gilbus was a technically sound player. He got to a French Open semi-final, but he came from the money background. He didn't need to win. When you look at someone like Iga Sviatek and where she's come from, she wins because she needs to win. Right. Right. It's it's born into her that if she wins, she gets out of the situation she's in. That's why you've got guys like Novak Djokovic. I mean, he needed to win. Get you know by and he wanted to get out of Serbia. He wanted to get out of his situation. He needed to win. Rafael Nadal. He needed to win. All of these, these sort of people. And, and you you know you have Maria Sharapova. I mean, for a while she had that killer instinct as well before she you know she turned to the outside court stuff. But she was another one who kind of needed to win. Um, so so a lot of that killer instinct comes as you're growing up you know you you, you develop that mentality that uh, you must win uh, and a lot of these players they they come from backgrounds where they've been financially supported pretty well winning for them isn't everything being on the gravy chains fine you look at a guy like uh we, we go to this guy all the time and he just retired a, a couple of weeks back at Roland Garros Joe Wilfred Sonka do you think he needed to win do you think if he really, really needed to win that that guy wouldn't have five grand slams with the game that he's got? You know, it, it was all mentality. He, he just didn't have it in him. Richard Gasquet, another example coming out of France. He's a guy that's got you know, incredible talent, beautiful backhand. You know, he Ooh. could destroy you anywhere with that backhand that he's got. Did he need to win? No, because he came from a background where he was financially secure as it was. There was no sort of desperation there was no scrambling to get the the victory when things get hard he didn't have to get tough things would be fine if he didn't win you know these guys would love to win but it, it wasn't life and death for them nope it sure wasn't now if we expand that list beyond the uh top 10 in the wta tour we'll get to the men in a minute coco golf great great fortnight in France she got to the women's final she got to the women's doubles final is she a killer or a killer in training because I'm starting to think that if she puts it all together and gets over the hump she's going to become a killer am I wrong um I yes think- I am you are yeah I don't see it with her I no, mean I see the same thing nice. with her same thing with her that I see with Sloane Stevens. I think she's got a lot of other things going on. And I think like Coco Gauff might be best compared to Naomi Osaka. Now, Naomi Osaka, we know has it, but we know that when stuff's going bad away from the court and she's got her eyes on political issues or something, you know, mental health issues or something else that's taken her away from the court that she loses it. Um, she loses that edge. And I think the same thing will be with Coco Gauff. I think there's going to be too many things going on too often, too much media attention. 
Um, I, I don't see her having the same mentality as Serena Williams. And you go back to where people come from. The Williams sisters came from a place where winning was the only option. You had to win. I don't see that in Gauff. I didn't see that in Stevens. Um, I don't see that in Osaka now. She's not in that situation where she needs to win. And I think that's why Osaka's going backwards. But yeah, I'm, I, I might be wrong. You, and you, you might have something. Gauff might be able to tap into it at some point. But um, I, I, I just think there'll be other people out there that come from not so good backgrounds that will be hungrier and more desperate to win than she is. Well, I don't think Coco Golf comes from a lot of money. Both her parents are uh, tennis coaches. They probably make, I guess if they were in Chicago during the 90s, uh, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of the 21st century, they probably got about 40, 50 bucks an hour, which is a lot, but you know, tennis coaches generally work 25, 30 hours a week. So, or at least the ones that I've been familiar with in my time in America. But uh, I don't think she comes from money. I don't think that's it. I think she's uh, a very nice person, Coco. I think she's legitimately nice and legitimately wants to be accepted. And I think that she has reached this platform and feels like, you know, the activism bit is more beneficial than the tennis bit because she is getting paid. She's making money. But is she going to be a champion? Is she going to be able to turn that corner? I don't know. I, I, I tell you one thing, though. I like what she's done with her serve. I like how she's getting her left hip out there into the court a little quicker. That's a beautiful thing to see. But, not, well, we'll see. You know what? We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree to a point. But more than likely, I think your point's going to stand on this one. I'm not so sure. There's not really anyone else on the women's tour right now that look like they're hungry enough and got the fire, the eye of the tiger, as they used to say in my day, the killer instinct to uh, overtake Igishvitek. And, and you know what? We'll have to wait and see. Osaka has dropped out of Wimbledon. No surprise there. But the men's side, you know, I don't care what you say about Rafael Nadal. If you like him, you hate him, you, you're you indifferent. 14 French Open championships for that kid. That's a killer right there. I'm going to tell you right now, he's a killer. If you don't believe me, that's fine, but he's a killer. He's won a championship at every major. And I say he's the killer of them all right now. There's no one, there's no bigger killer right now than Rafael Nadal. Am I wrong? No, you're right. He's probably now the the one that we will look at and say he's the greatest of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, there'll be people will want to dispute that, and I, I'm happy to listen to their arguments. But um, it's not just the fact that the on court stuff. Um, the, the men, you know, you and I have talked about what he does during training. Um, you know, he intimidates the opponents on the, the the courts next to him with the little drills that he does during training towards right. the end of the session. You, we saw the clip that are there of the the players waiting to be announced to come on the court at Roland Garros, and Casper um, Ruud's just standing there, and Nadal's bouncing about, running back and forwards, working on his split step in 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 the hallway, right in front of Casper Ruud. I mean, he's just getting in the guy's head before he even comes out on the court. That's a guy who's, you know, more than 10 years younger than him, 
um, should be fitter and better um, physically than he is. And, and then, you know, you look at all the, the injuries that Nadal's had. He's talking about now he's getting injections in his feet so that he could play every day at Roland Garros. And they're talking about burning the nerve endings um, that are causing him problems off of his feet so that he can keep playing. What do you call this guy if you don't call him a killer? I mean, there's no mercy with this guy. If he's willing to burn the nerve endings off his feet to keep playing, what chance have you got against somebody like that? That's exactly right. You know what, though, the best part of it is? He knows that very few current ATP players can beat him there. And he's going to go out there and play until the wheels fall off. And good for him. The nerve ending thing, that's a little drastic. I remember Brad Gilbert back in the day, he used to have his big toenail removed because it caused him so many problems. And that's pretty painful also. But Nadal's a killer. You mentioned Djokovic. Djokovic, he had a tough he's had a tough season. And rightly so, you know, he's got a lot of things going on. Off the court, he's pretty much hated wherever he goes for various reasons. Some legit, others maybe not so legit. But I would put him on my killer list. There's no doubt about it. Novak Djokovic is a killer. And uh, I'm I'm wondering, I think, I, I honestly think that everything around him is getting to him to the point where we may not see him again either after Wimbledon for a while because he's not going to be able to play in the United States. So he's pretty much screwed. Is he still a killer? Um, I think he is. I think we saw at Rome that once he's dialed in, um, he is absolutely a killer. I think the problem at Roland Garros was that he just come up against a guy that's very, very difficult to beat at Roland Garros. I mean, only he himself and one other guy's ever managed to beat him, and, and, and him being the Dow at Roland Garros. So... The, the task that was put in front of him was a really, really tough one. And for a guy who's not been playing frequently due to COVID and um, whatever else has been going on, I just think, you know, he's, he's a little bit out of form. Um, he, he looks a little bit more vulnerable at the minute than he has done in previous years. I'm not sure, though, you know, the thing I'm... The great point you raise about Djokovic is that time is now against him. His preferred surface is the hard court. He does very well in Australia. Um, he's also done well at Wimbledon uh, on the grass, but he does pretty well on the hard court surface, um, mostly. And the hard court surface is the one where all the young guys are catching up quicker. You know, you look at Roland Garros, there weren't really too many challengers to Nadal there. Casper Ruud had a, a good tournament. Um, we know Sipsipas plays a, a good clay court game. Zverev plays a decent clay court game. But on the, the hard courts, you know, you've got Medvedev, Zverev, Sipsipas, um, Felix, um, Alcaraz, Sinner, lots and lots of guys coming into the conversation on the hard courts. It's going to be tough for Djokovic. He's really going to have to become a killer again if he wants to add any more Grand Slams because all of these guys are closing the gap to to him and to the others at the top of the game. And I think, you know, if he doesn't play the U.S. Open, he's going to struggle a bit. He's going to struggle a lot. You know, look how many points that kid has to defend. He's not going to get the points from Wimbledon. 
he's likely not going to get his finalist points from the U.S. Open because he's not going to be allowed entrance in the country without a vaccine. He's got an uphill battle. Um, I hope things sort out because I think we need killer Djokovic in the game still. I think that we do. And, you know, when you look at the list of the top 10 in the ATP Tour, uh, we we could see that Casper Ruud, he's not a killer. He he got intimidated in the in the hallway. And there's no question he was intimidated. Yes, I know. I heard all the stories. He practiced with Nadal. Nadal's his hero. He trains at the academy, blah, blah, blah. But if the shoe were on the other foot, Rafael Nadal would have buried him for all those reasons. Because Nadal wants to take home championships. That's what killers do. They don't care about all that other stuff. When you step on the court, there aren't any friends. We don't have a history together. The only history I have is when I look back on the record books and I see that I beat you in the final. That's the history that guys like Nadal and Djokovic care about. Roger Federer. I know he's still active. He hasn't played. I think he's just teasing everybody. I don't see him coming back at all, to be honest. And there's what's the point. But I think he's still a killer. I think we can call him a killer because at the height of his powers, he was pretty much untouchable on grass, similar to Nadal on clay. Is Federer still a killer? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. that's never going to change with that guy, is it? I mean, like age and whatever, but the mentality of that guy is not going to change. If you show him the door, he'll be walking through it. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. Um, a lot of talk about Carlos Alcaraz. Now, he had a disappointing French Open, a predictable one, if you listen to This Week in Tennis. Is he a killer? Uh, we don't know. I mean, it's no, too early. It's too early. Too early to talk about that guy. Um, you know, I I looked at that price that you gave me on the U.S. Open, uh, sorry, on Roland Garros, and they were not give you know you were getting a worse price on him than you were on the Dow doing it at the start so you know i think a lot of people jumped the gun on the guy and we we don't really know a huge amount about him but there's a lot of good signs that um he knows how to close matches out he knows how to win um for a guy who's 19 years old there's there's a lot of good signs that this guy um could be the next big thing and he could be the next guy that's collecting grand slams but too early in the day for us to, to really make a call on someone like that. Or he could be Emma Raducanu, a player who wins a major and then has all sorts of injuries. It seems that he's injured now and will miss a week of the grass court season. I don't think that's much of a surprise. Yeah, let's wait and see on him. Daniil Medvedev. Killer? No. Um, Not yet. I mean, he's gotten to... I just look back to that final against Nadal, um, the recent one on the hard court. Uh, oh, the Australian I, Open? Yeah. And he, he just, you know, Daniel Medvedev's coming into his prime. Nadal's Australian Open was his worst Grand Slam. You know, that's the place where he had won the least amount of titles. But, um, yeah, Nadal smoked him. It, you, you know, if you're going to be a killer, and you get to that match, you've got to turn up in the big money match, right? Right. And, and we saw for a while that Andy Murray didn't have that. You know, it took 
five, six, maybe seven years before Andy Murray managed to develop that mentality, and, and he turned up to to win that gold medal match against Roger Federer, and then he smoked Djokovic at the U.S. Open, and then again at Wimbledon. Um, you know, when you get to that big match, you got to be competitive, and you you got to look like you're going to win it. And, and Medvedev, um, you know, the only time we we saw that is when he beat Djokovic at the U.S. Open. That that was a good sign, but he's not followed that up, and and that worries me. That that makes me wonder if you know he's one and done. I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope there's more to come from him. But at the minute, uh, you know, he's not in the category that Djokovic is, or Nadal is, or a Federer is. Nor should he be. You know what? I think he's a guy who's just really happy to uh, have the life that he has, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But. Your point about the Australian Open final is, is, is valid. He stood there like the house by the side of the road. He, he didn't engage, if you remember. He tried to, but a killer would not only engage but succeed. And uh, he just didn't. And the doll came out there and smacked him. You know, when you bring up Andy Murray, a lot of his uh, turnaround was due to Yvonne Lendl. You know, Lendl's another one I would say was a killer. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, um, I mean, I remember I remember practicing with him when I was like 14, 13, 14. And he hit me in the chest on an approach. I, I, I hit an approach shot and he buried me, just buried me. It was way short. He just walked right in there and jammed me. And he would rip his mother's throat out to win a match. Now, his earlier career didn't go so well, but after beating John McEnroe at the French Open final, after being down two sets to love, and, you know, he turned himself into a killer. And, and I think some of these young people would benefit from a Nadal, or I'm sorry, from a Lendl or whoever of that, you know, temperament to kind of help them over the edge. But again, you have to be a special type of player to receive that type of coaching because I can guarantee you that Yvonne Lendl is not sugarcoating anything. He's going to be straight and he's going to tell it like it is. Any other killers uh, on the men's tour except for Nadal, Federer, Djokovic currently that you can just plug in there and you say, well, I think this kid has a shot. Um, not at the moment. I mean, there's a reason these guys have, you know, won about 15 years worth of Grand Slams right. between them. Um, and, and that nobody else is on that list. Nobody is. The LIV Tour, the Saudi-backed golf tour, Craig, that's made a lot of news, created lots of stir, controversy, whatever. You know, I say to each his own, you know, when you turn pro, uh, they don't tell you which tournaments you have to win. Your job when you turn pro is to provide for yourself and your family and to hopefully provide generational wealth. That LIV tour, the money that they're getting is amazing. Good for them. Could it happen in tennis? Because I think now would be the time if you were going to do something like that. Now would be the time. Yeah, I mean, th there's been talk of like um, 
behind the scenes, and I know a lot of it hasn't been making uh, making the press, um, but there's been talk behind the scenes of trying to bring the men's tour, the women's tour, and the sort of ITF events all together under one sort of more structured banner. Um, but, but what we're looking at in, in golf is um, somebody coming in and changing the game entirely. You know, they're saying, well, the traditional method works for the very best people, but we're pro- you know, going to pump more money into it, more sponsorship into it. We're going to, you know, invest these huge sums of money and, and, and put on spectacular events. Why can't that happen in tennis? You know, like I, I know there's a lot of tradition in tennis with Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, etc. But there's a lot of tradition in golf as well. You know, the Ryder Cup or the Masters tournament at Augusta, St. Andrews for the Open, all that sort of um events uh, and i think like new money creates new ideas and it's really interesting and i i'm surprised that we've not seen novak djokovic come out and make some comment on this because this kind of sounds similar to what he has been pitching with the professional tennis players association and breakaway tours and various things i mean you and i have talked about this quite a lot of times that the the atp tour the wta tour the, the calendar that's in place has a lot of issues right now. It's too long, too many events. A lot of these events are not really offer much in the way of money to a lot of the players. Um, we've often said, you know, the tennis um, tour would be better shortened to finish at the U.S. Open and, and then allow for exhibitions, etc. So I, I like the LIV idea that there's a different way of doing things and there's a different way of bringing tennis to the people that maybe um, the traditional methods don't do. And, and you know, if you could finance it and there's money there, it's been shown this week that the top players will come. Wimbledon is going to be living proof of that. It's going to be the Petri dish, if you will, the test model for what could occur next exhibitions with the best players in the world playing tournaments for big money and no points. That is what Wimbledon is now, right? It's an exhibition with big money and no points. I know people are boycotting it because of the tournament venue and the directors deciding that Russian and Belarusian players would be exempt from this year's field. But I I, I bet you, I bet you if someone came in with that kind of bread, he could get a few players. He or she, they could get a few players. I'm well, think, yeah, go ahead. L- let's let's put it out there, right? Yeah. If you said to, um, right off the bat to Alexander Zverev, we're going to give you uh, $10 million right now to sign up and you've got to play these um, 12 events next season. Do you think he'd be saying no? He $12 wouldn't million say no at all. No. He'd be, and we know he likes the money, right? Um, but then, you know, it, it might be different if you offer it to someone at the end of their career, like Nadal, you know, there's probably not a huge amount of incentive for him. But how about Riley Opelka, right? If you put $5 million up front for Riley Opelka for, for next year to come and play 12 events, do you think Riley Opelka would take that $5 million? He would take $1 million. 
yeah, I think it's a lot more than he's making in a year. You know, so that garden key, and uh, you know, those events could be anywhere. They could take them to Japan, China, South Africa, New Zealand, wherever you want to take the game and, and showcase it. I can guarantee you that the, the, there's a, almost every player in the top 20 outsider, maybe Nadal, um, w- would probably jump on it if, if they were getting guaranteed money up front. Nadal, Federer, and Murray, no. I don't think that they would. Um, Djokovic, absolutely. All the Russian and Belarusian players, absolutely. Riley Opelka, for sure. Um, John Isner, for sure. Carlos Alcaraz, it, it would depend. I would think it would depend on his ability to win Grand Slams, the traditional ones. But at some point you would see him too because, you know what, that would be big money. Guaranteed money, there's no such thing in tennis. Okay, you get the you know the appearance fees, I guess is what you want to call them. That's guaranteed money, I guess. But it's not as big as what these Saudis are giving these golfers. Well, you, you look at Dustin Johnson. They're talking about paying this guy $150 million up front to play. And and this guy, he's won big tournaments, right? He He's won... Um, the biggest events in golf, but he's not made 150 million in his career in prize money. So why wouldn't he look at it and go for my family and, and future generations of my family, for my kids and their kids and their kids? I, I'm putting money in the bank, you know. Hell if yeah. I turn down this 150 million, um, you know, I've already got money, but I, I could safeguard my future for a long, long time. Absolutely, and there are plenty of other players I think that would go along with it also. I mean, that is the PTPA gripe, the Professional Tennis Players Association, that uh, the top 100 are making money, but everyone else isn't. You put out a rival tour, and you get 32 names to play 12 times a year, and that's 32 spots because the ATP tour or the WTA won't allow them probably to play in their events anymore. You know, similar to what the PGA is probably wrongfully doing. And you got yourself 32 spots in a draw for those guys underneath the top 100 to give them a chance. And of course, you know, a draw, a big, big kind of tournament like that, like the LIV thing, the uh, the 54, I guess is what it is. You know what? You're going to see, they're going to want some guys who they think they can beat easily in there also. Because, you know, tennis Fans, they want to see three sets, but they also want to see blood. You know what I mean? They want to see that fifth set dominance of an Adal or a Federer or a Djokovic. And I would think that there would be more opportunities to make money for these guys if that's what the real goal of the PTPA is. But Novak Djokovic can never be the face of it. That's the biggest problem. He's a pariah. And it's unfortunate that he is. You know, he wasn't well-respected before COVID. But now, I mean, let's face it. Unless you need him. And a lot of these guys who are involved with him in his PTPA actually do need him. Why would you want to go follow him, though? I mean, but if you brought in an organization like, say, the Saudis or someone like that, who had big dollars secure a TV contract that people can actually watch tennis. And like you said, 
take them to nice places where they may not have a whole lot of tennis overall. And you break the bank. And then maybe that would force the ATP Tour and the WTA Tour and the ITF to reassess some of the things that people are griping about, Craig. Yeah, I mean, these are all long-term gripes as well, aren't they? I mean, we're not talking about things that have just appeared in the last couple of years with right. um, you know, Novak Djokovic and friends. We're... Um, talking about things that have been there 20 years plus that have been issues and um it's yeah i mean let's be honest money solves a lot of problems doesn't it sure um, does. it creates a lot of problems yes. but it sure solves a lot of problems as well so if somebody was um gonna throw the big cash and i've, I've heard about potential investors um trying to do that behind the scenes but they're trying to manipulate the current tour by talking to the ATP and talking to the WTA, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think what's much more likely is the hostile takeover that you're seeing in golf in that somebody comes along and they say, hey, this is what we're doing. We're putting the money up. Let's see who's in. Um, go up against the ATP and, and the WTA. Um, try to lure their players to, to jump on board with your tour because if you've got the money, people will follow the money. If they think that, um, you know, all of these PTPA guys that we've mentioned, Isner, Opelka, Pospisil, um, they might not be stars, but if you're putting up enough money then and you need the bodies to fill things up, um, I, I think that you can, uh, I, I think that they can go that way. I, I think you'll get enough people following. I, I think it'll work. And the women's side of things, I think it would be even easier. You know, you could get you get every every hot new thing that comes along. You grab the Eradicanu, you grab the Osaka, you see their exhibition, so they don't really count. The only thing that counts is your bank account. And that's what a lot of these ladies are all about also. I mean that and, and rightly so. Because, you know, you give up your youth, you um practice and train for so long and so many hours without a nickel coming in and all only money going out and you get a chance to go out there and uh break the bank you go do it that's what you do you get paid for all the sacrifices and the hard work you take care of your family the people who backed you the people who got up at four in the morning to drive you to five o'clock a.m tennis practices and who spent all night driving so you could go to a tennis tournament the next day. Or, in some cases, you know, throwing that penny jar together to come up with the uh, registration fee to play in a tournament in some cases. So, you know, there's there's a lot of good things from that. But look what the problem would be, though, is the reaction of the Pro Tours and the ITF. I think it would be pretty brutal if you were to go out and step out. But you know what? Like you said, money solves a lot of problems and them not liking me would be a problem that that money would make go away because I don't need them anymore, you see? And I think it would work. In fact, I'm pretty sure you could get 32 guys and 32 gals and put on a hell of a show 10 times a year. And that's all it needs, right? I mean, we, you yeah. don't need to have... You know, a hundred different tournaments running um, concurrently. 
um, to be able to get the best people involved. And I think, you know, you pick 10 solid locations um, and you're going to get a big crowd um, coming along to watch. So, yeah, the potential is definitely there. You know what? You throw the players a percentage of the streaming fees and the licensing fees like the NBA does its players, and you break the bank without any pressure whatsoever. This would be something like Naomi Osaka, who struggles with anxiety, or so she says. I don't know what she does, but that's her story, and I guess we have to stick to it unless we know different. This would be perfect. There's no stress, no pressure. The only thing you have to do is stay recognizable, you know, um, stay relevant, and you break the bank with a guaranteed sum. And if you've won, and I think what they could do is they could take this. See, Craig, I've actually thought about this. I wish I had the money to do it. I would have already done it. But you could take it out and, and say, start these minimum guarantees based on how many slams they've won. And maybe you'd attract a Rafael Nadal that way. Or a Roger Federer, who, you know, we know he likes money also. It could work. It really could work. But again, you know, there are people out there who say, because of this Professional Tennis Players Association, that guys like the ATP is actually targeting uh, Novak Djokovic. And, and maybe they are. I don't know. But I think right now, if you're going to do something in tennis an alternate to the Grand Slams, an alternate to the men's and women's tours and the ITF tours, then now is the time to strike. Great job today, my friend. It's so much fun doing this podcast with you. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been a different kind of day today, right? We've not really been giving out picks today. There's, there's not a, a huge amount on the table um, for us to do, but we've you know, opened up and talked about a few other things. It's it's good to have a little bit of a change, and hopefully we can come back next week and maybe we can give out some picks for Queens and Hallow. That's right. We have big grass courts event, grass court events happening next week. Of course, we have the granddaddy of them all, <laughs> the exhibition formerly known as Wimbledon. That's on the twenty seventh. We got a lot of stuff going. You can. Subscribe to this podcast. It's everywhere. We want to thank you all for listening. Y'all have a great day. This Week in Tennis.